Amen. Amen. It is good to be with you this morning. <clears throat> Happy Fourth of July weekend to most of you. We hope you guys weren't out too late um, last night, but we are glad to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for joining us online and in person. We are gr- grateful that you are able to be with us this morning and hear from the Lord this morning. I believe that he has a message from us from his word. Amen. God wants the heart. The book of of Jonah is all about the character and the nature of God. We see who God is through the story of Jonah. In chapter one, we learned that he is a God who pursues. As Jonah flees from the presence of God and goes in the opposite direction, God pursues Jonah. He certainly disciplines those he loves, and we see in the story of Jonah, um, God is working on the heart of Jonah. In the process of pursuit of Jonah, Jonah continues to go down, 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 down to Joppa, down to the innermost parts of the ship, down to sleep, down into the sea, and ultimately down to the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish. And after three days at the bottom of the sea, he calls out to God. The God who saves. And we saw this in chapter 2, Jonah's psalm of thanksgiving, his prayer unto the Lord as he praises God because salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen? And Jonah is vomited up into dry land. And now he finds himself in the place where he began on dry land with a command from the word of the Lord. Is Jonah a changed man? Has he seen the grace of God and has his heart aligned to God's heart? Let's find out. As God is revealing to Jonah and to us this morning, he is the God who sends. Let's encounter the heart of God this morning as we read Jonah chapter 3. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we'll be able to do that together. You might have trouble finding Jonah. It's in the middle of the Old Testament after um, Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah, um, Obadiah, Jonah. Right there in the middle of the Old Testament, I'm giving you time to get there. If you're struggling to get there, I see pages turning in the background there, so it's a little difficult to get to. But Jonah chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put a sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw that they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we do ask, Father, we do ask that uh, this morning that you would just give us a heart that yearns after you. Give us a heart that beats as your heart beats, Lord. Father, as you are the God that sends, Father, may we be willing to say, here I am, send me. And Father, as we hear this word this morning, and as we see the example of the Ninevites, Lord, help us to be people who repent, who believe the word of God is true and right and good and turn from our own way to the way in which you want us to go. Lord, speak to us this morning. Speak to our spirit into our hearts that we may change our minds and respond to your word appropriately. Lord, we thank you for this message that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's nothing better than a good commercial, right? Everyone has seen good commercials. You've seen bad commercials. My wife and I will sit and we will watch television and I will say, that was a poor commercial. Not very much happening there. It's kind of bored or it doesn't have a very good plot, whatever it may be. They're one of the greatest commercials of all time and Dr. Pepper does great commercials. But one of the great commercials of all time is a Dr. Pepper commercial with a song playing in the background. I would do anything for love. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And this, this guy um, is holding his Dr. Pepper all while doing things for his girlfriend or his significant other, his wife, his spouse. I'm not sure who she is. It doesn't tell us who she is. But it begins with this picture of this this guy buying women's products at the store and the clerk holding up the product for a price check while his girlfriend is in the car smiling at him as the, the sound blares, I would do anything for love. You know that song, right? And then he's folding laundry at the laundromat and everyone begins to look at him because obviously the clothes that he's folding are not his own 
And he's at the department store holding a purse as he watches his girlfriend try on clothes. And then he's in yoga class, which looks like he's doing the scorpion pose. If you don't know what it is, you can look it up after. But I would do anything for love as he's holding his Dr. Pepper throughout the commercial. And then he's sitting on the couch when his girlfriend reaches for the Dr. Pepper And the song says, but I won't do that. And he grabs his Dr. Pepper and he runs out of the house, running down the street, drinking his Dr. Pepper. This is Jonah. We are Jonah. We are willing to go to great lengths in obedience to God's word. And yet, when we get to the one place where God says, let go or forgive or give or go, we begin running the wrong way. God is teaching Jonah that God is not only the God of Israel, but he's also the God of the Gentiles. If you look at the book, God tells Jonah to go to a pagan Gentile city of Nineveh, the wicked city of Nineveh. No doubt Jonah may have been hurt or his family may have been hurt by the Assyrians. Jonah thinks that they are undeserving of the word of the Lord, undeserving of the grace of God. They are too far gone. And yet God is teaching Jonah something. He is teaching Jonah that he is the God of that city, the God of those people. But Jonah becomes no-go Jonah, right? He goes in the opposite direction. Yet God pursues him to teach him that God is the God of the nations. We see in chapter 1 that in spite of Jonah, God is saving Gentiles. He is saving these sailors in spite of Jonah being asleep and not sharing the the word of the Lord with them, not praying to the Lord. God is saving the Gentiles, the sailors in the boat in which Jonah is. and, And the writer of Jonah is telling us this as he uses the exact same language for Jonah chapter 1 as Jonah uses for his salvation in chapter 2. Look at Jonah chapter 1 verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These are the Gentile sailors fearing the Lord, offering sacrifice and making vows. At the end of chapter 2 when Jonah is saved from the belly of the fish, Look at verse 9, but I was with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Sacrifice and vows, the exact same language. And here we will see the repentance that God desires is actually from the 
Gentile Ninevites. But last week, or two weeks ago, in Jonah chapter 2, we saw that repentance was significantly missing, surprisingly missing from Jonah's prayer. It's as if God is looking into the deep recesses of the heart of Jonah and finding the one area of his heart that does not align with God. And he is exposing that area. Why? Because he doesn't want to just force obedience. But he wants the heart of Jonah. He is the God who sins. Look at chapter 3 verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Yet 40 days... And Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is our first point this morning, which is God sends people to proclaim the word of the Lord. Amen? God sends people to proclaim the word of the Lord. Some of you are looking at this sermon from Jonah, which says, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And you're saying, Where can I get this pastor? Four-second sermon, it is a joke. You can laugh. It's okay if you don't. It is a four-second sermon. Jonah preaches to Nineveh. I hate to burst your bubble, but it's probably a summary of what Jonah says. But it tells us here everything that we need to know about the proclamation of the word that God was telling The Ninevites, Jonah's sermon, five words in the Hebrew, if you're counting, is summarized and is teaching us three things about God. Number one is this. God is the God of this city. Amen? It may sound familiar to you for the Lord to say something to the effect of all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. God is the God of Nineveh. God is the God of Oklahoma City. God is the God of put your city in there. Number one, God is the God of the city. Number two, the sermon Jonah preaches He shows us that God punishes sin. God will judge sinners. Every man is appointed to live once and then face judgment. There is a penalty for sin and breaking God's law. The stench of the Ninevites has reached the nostrils of the Almighty God, and he's going to bring an end to their wickedness. They're going to be overthrown. Every sin is punished by God, but the gospel is good news because the Lord has provided a way of escape. Jesus takes our sin upon himself. 
The punishment that I deserve is placed upon Christ on the cross. That is the good news. God still punishes sin. Yet our punishment is placed upon Christ. Number three, God is a God of mercy. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Why wait 40 days? Why not just destroy them immediately? Why send anyone to tell them the word of God? Because that's not the heart of God. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is a God of mercy. He wanted the whole town, the whole city of Nineveh, three days of walking the town, preaching the word of the Lord. He wanted them all to hear and to give them time to respond. Why does the rain fall on the wicked and the righteous? Because of the mercy of God. The 40 days are the mercy of God, mercy withholding what we deserved. And later, he will extend the undeserved favor of God by relenting the disaster altogether. God cares about these people. God cares about the wicked people of Nineveh. And he wants them to hear the word of the Lord. But guess what? God uses people, broken people sometimes, to sow seeds of the word of God into the hearts of man. This is how God himself saves. If you look at the Bible, God is proclaiming the word through individuals, people. He sends people to proclaim the word to others. He sends imperfect people to proclaim the word of truth, the perfect word of truth. Look at Jonah. A second time the word of God came to Jonah. This is a, the God of second chances, right? This is the second time. This is no-go Jonah who will be the vessel God chooses to deliver the message to Nineveh. How about, I don't know you, Peter? He would be the messenger for 3,000 people in Acts. How about, I'm destroying the church, Paul? He would be the messenger, the church planter to the Gentiles. God uses broken people to deliver a perfect message, the gospel. But pastor, evangelism, you're talking evangelism, that's so hard. I mean, sometimes it's so awkward. I don't know about you, but I've definitely been in awkward evangelism settings where you're trying to share the gospel with someone and it gets kind of tricky. And, and trust me, I, I've, I've been there. But understanding two truths, 
will make you change your viewpoint on evangelism. As young people say all too often, now we were with our, our cousins this last week, and, and he said this multiple times, this will change your life. And he was talking about some cool color or some cool shirt or something like that. And I was like, okay, all right, that's the phrase that they use now. But this will change your life when it comes to evangelism. Number one, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah 2, 9 That's what Jonah says here, and this is true. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Number two, faith comes only through hearing. You get that from Romans 10, 17, and we'll get there in a minute. But let's go back to salvation belongs to the the Lord. God is the one who saves. Salvation is not of ourselves. It is the work of God. We see the whole book of Ephesians. You can quote that book on understanding that it is God who is working in the salvation process of man. God's spirit is that which works in the heart of man to allow them to come to saving faith. Mark 4, 26, Jesus tells this parable, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. It is the work of God so that no man can boast. This means the weight is off your shoulders, Christians, when you're sharing the gospel with someone. It's not how well you can convince them or how much you know or how much Bible knowledge you have. It is truly the spirit of the living God causing them to turn and repent and believe upon Christ. People are not converted by eloquent speech or persuasive powers of flesh, but by the power of God. You see, at the end of the day, we're not dealing with skeptics who need to be persuaded or bad people that need to be convinced to become good people. We're dealing with dead people who need to be raised to life, and that's something only the power of God can do. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The second thing I said that would change your life is this. Faith comes only through hearing. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the exciting part. God chooses to use his people, his church, to unite with him to fulfill the mission of God. This is how God works. He works through people proclaiming the word of God. You see, God doesn't need Jonah here. He doesn't need Jonah to go to Nineveh, but he wants Jonah. He doesn't need us to share the gospel with someone, but he wants us. He wants us to have a heart like his. Think about this. All throughout the scripture, you see it. The story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 there's a guy reading Isaiah 53 in his, in his carriage on, on the way back home. He doesn't understand it. 
And God transports Philip to be right next to him to do what? To explain the gospel, to, to sow seeds of the word of God into the life of this man. And then he takes him away and goes to another place. I mean, if he was going to do all that magic stuff, why didn't he just audibly tell the Ethiopian about the gospel? Why did he use Philip? He wanted to use Philip. What about Saul or Paul on the road to Damascus? Saul, why are you persecuting me? He comes and he meets with Paul. And Saul says, who are you? He says, Jesus. And then Saul is recounting this later on in Acts. And he, sa he says that he says, what shall I do? What a perfect statement. What shall I do? Jesus is going to come with the gospel to Saul right, right here. Now Jesus says, go to Damascus and you will be told what to do. And God raises up Ananias to go and share the gospel with Paul. Same thing with Cornelius and Peter. God gives dreams to Peter. He shows up to go to this man's home to declare the gospel to them, this Gentile house, and he shares the gospel, and their family is saved. God doesn't need you to share the gospel. He doesn't need Jonah. He has other prophets, but he wants you, and he wants Jonah. This applies in all areas of our life. One of the most understood areas that it applies to, one of the most highlighted areas that it applies to is giving. Giving in the church. Guess what? God doesn't need our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He orchestrates the wind. He doesn't need our money. The church doesn't need your money. But our money is often a good indication of our hearts. And what we spend our life on, our money tells us where we are. And guess what he wants? He wants your heart. That's why we give. Not so we can check off a box of accomplishment, but so that we can have the heart of Christ. We give freely with joy, not of obligation, because we want to. He wants our money. He doesn't need our money. God uses people to sow seeds of the word of God into the lives of others. Praise God for that. He uses Jonah to declare the message that the king, the creator, the judge is the Lord Almighty and he has provided a way of escape. Now this word that Jonah shares to the Ninevites demands a response. Every word of the Lord demands a response. Every time you open the word of God, every time you hear the word of God preached, it demands a response. James 1.22 says this, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Luke eleven twenty eight says this, but he said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Romans 2, 13 says this, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law 
who will be justified. Let's look and see the response of the word of the Lord from the Ninevites. Jonah is done now. We see the Ninevites and their response. Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. No, no, notice he's not demanding of God to repent or to relent, excuse me. He's humbly asking God to relent. Just thought I'd add that in. That was, that was, just, that was extra for you. But this is point number two right here. A change in one's mind leads to a change in one's action. A change of the mind, repentance, from the word metanoia, means to change your mind, leads to a change in one's action. I heard this another day, and I I took it from another pastor, but he said this. He said, big doors swing on small hinges. He said this is what he does in counseling sessions with every type of different counseling. His response is always this phrase, big doors swing on small hinges. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, but let me explain. He says the small hinges are called obedience. Consistent, proper responses to the word of God change the direction of our life. He said that often people want this big, dramatic change, immediate change in their life. And yet, he always tells people that big doors swing on small hinges called obedience. We can see the person we become by how we respond to the word of God day by day. Are you far from God? Is your life a mess? Begin with responding to the word of God today. The Ninevites' response to the word of God is the example of repentance and faith. It is repentant faith. It is the proper response to the word of God. Every time you open this book, every time the word of God is preached, there will always be a response. Changes in our mind will lead to changes in our action. The Ninevites first believed God. Who was the preacher preaching? Did they believe Jonah? 
No, in spite of Jonah, they believed God. They believed and had faith that God is true, that his word is right, that he said, what he says will come about, and it led to actions in their life. They thought differently. They thought that they had sinned, and God's word convicted them of that. And they turned from their life of sin, they humbled themselves, and they said, I cannot continue to do this. I need God's grace. And they ask him for it. They express their need for God through an outward expression of humility, fasting, and prayer. You want to start somewhere, church, for us? You want to start somewhere, Oklahoma City, for us? You want to start somewhere, USA, for us? We need to begin with fasting and prayer. Help us to learn from these pagan Ninevites with a a five-word message that they heard. Help us to begin. Help us leaders to begin with what this king has done. They, they were led by the king who exchanged his royal robes for sackcloth. A sackcloth is a coarse material like black goat's hair, something like that, that they put on very uncomfortable. But it was an expression of their deep sorrow. The ashes meant that they were in desolation or ruin. It was a sign from the king that they were submitting to a greater king. This is the heart attitude of those who enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Humility. Repentance. Godly sorrow leading to repentance. And God has said in his word in Jeremiah chapter 18 that he would relent if a nation turns from their ways. Jeremiah eighteen seven says this, If any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. Any application to us today? The Ninevites end with verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Joel, this is actually a direct quote from Joel 2.14. The prophet Joel is teaching Israel how to repent. And this is what he says in Joel 2, 14. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering from the Lord. 
Joel, right before that, says, says this in verse 12, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. You see, God is chasing not only after the heart of Jonah, he's chasing after the heart of Nineveh. And he doesn't want an outward show of self-righteousness. He doesn't want half-hearted obedience. He wants humble repentance. You see, the book is written about God's prophet, but is showing the people of Israel the hole in their heart, the dark spot in their heart, and he is exposing it before the people. Jonah obeyed, but not with the missional heart of God. His obedience was not for the right reasons. God is not after teeth-pulling obedience. He is after the heart. Look at what Jonah says after God relented from the disaster of the Ninevites. Verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Chapter 4, verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What are you angry about, Jonah? And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, it is not this what I said when I was yet in my country. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Man. He was angry. He was displeased exceedingly. Why? Because God showed grace to Nineveh. Man. Isaiah 29, 13, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. God is the God who sins. And when we don't align our heart with God's heart, he exposes it for what it is. God is looking at the motivation of our hearts. God cares about Jonah's hearts or else there wouldn't be a chapter four. We're going to see that in the grace of God. But Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 3 are the same. Why? Because they're both improper, not proper responses to the word of God. One is a straight up no, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah flees the presence of God. The other is Jonah 3. It's obligated obedience. Jonah does it so he won't get punished. It's like the child who digs their heels in and says, no, that's Jonah 1, right? Or the child that pouts and goes 
and does it pouting and whining all the way. That's Jonah chapter three. Parents, we aren't concerned about just getting the job done, but we're concerned about the heart of our children. God isn't just concerned about the job or else there wouldn't be a chapter four. There is no joy in Jonah's obedience. There is no heart of God. He has no missionary heart. And thus God is extending the same grace to Jonah as he did the Ninevites. Whether you are someone who has been in the church your whole life or this is your first time hearing the word of the Lord, God is teaching all of us through the story of Jonah. We can run, but we cannot hide. We can fake it, but our hearts will be revealed and God will pursue us in the midst of our rebellion. This morning, may I encourage you to stop running from the Lord. Big doors swing wide on small hinges called obedience. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. Respond to the word of God this morning. Declare that God is good and right and just and respond in obedience with the heart of faith. Verse 10, and we'll close, says this. When God saw what he did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is point number three. God is the God of abundant grace. God is the God of abundant grace. I, if, you, if you ever hear my preaching, I always end the sermon with the abundance of grace that God gives to us. I've spent a lot of time hammering Jonah for his self-righteousness. And yet, we are all in need of God's abundant grace. I've spent a lot of time hammering people for their poor decisions and their wickedness and sin and their deserving of the wrath of God, and yet God offers us abundant grace. This is my story. This is your story. We have done things that quench the Holy Spirit, done things that hinder the message of the gospel. We have robbed God. We have robbed our own soul of the blessings of God. And praise God that he is the God of second chances. Second chances that come after his discipline, he almost had to kill Jonah before he restored him. Isaiah had to say, woe is me, before he said, here am I, send me. God gives second chances after he humbles and he refines us. May we respond with the example of the Ninevites. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance. So the question is then, not whether God will forgive you, 
but will you, will you come back to God or will you want to come back to God if it requires you to repent? That's the real question. It's not the question of God's grace. That's not the question. The question is, do you really want to repent? God's grace changes lives. God's grace changes lives, not your own efforts. God's grace changes lives, not our good works. God's grace changes lives, not our reputation. We see from chapter 3, we must be sowers of seed. We must sow the seed of the word of God into the lives of people and watch the Lord work because our God is a God who sins. Our God is a God who saves, but a God who sins. One of the greatest revivals in scripture is happening here with a half-hearted prophet, a doomsday sermon, with a proclaimer that didn't have personal influence, social status, marketing tools, technology, or political clout. Yet God is showing us and God is showing Jonah There's power in the word of God. That he wants people to come to repentance and faith in him.